0: series today, a three-week series on marriage, and I just want to give you a high level overview of where we're going. The series is called For Better or Worse. How many of you remember or have heard those words before? Uh, we understand that that marriage is marriage is the foundation of our society. Marriage was uh, created and ordained by God long before anything else. In fact, it's the very first institution that God ever ordained. It's the very before the church, before even the government. God ordains the the family through marriage of Adam and Eve, and it's important for us to understand that because the the trends are going in an unhealthy direction, not just in our country but around the world. We're seeing more and more divorces and. What's sad is that the divorce rate between non-believers and believers is essentially no different at this point. And this last week, I was doing a little bit of research, and I was just curious, uh, because later on this morning, we're going to hear from a couple who's been married for 61 years. And I was curious what the average marriage was in America. The average marriage lasts 8.2 years. Think about that. We have a couple who's been married 61 years. How low are these these marriages really when we think that the average is 8.2? And we understand that God's desire for us is something way different. Something different. And so this morning we're going to start and we're going to look at marriage as a covenant. We're going to understand what does it mean? What is a covenant, first of all? like that's I don't know what that means. Uh, so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to see some examples, and we're going to see how even our modern-day wedding ceremony lines up with some of the biblical covenants. And then we're going to, we're going to uh, unpack that a little bit more, and we're going to understand what is the covenant that we enter into when we enter into marriage. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're, uh, if you're single— Maybe you're divorced and you're not remarried, or maybe you're remarried, uh, or you're married and you're struggling in your marriage. I, I just want you to understand that this series has something for every single one of you. In Hebrews 14, we read that marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. So, who's supposed to honor marriage? Does that say marriage is to be honored by all the married people? Marriage is to be honored by all those who hope someday to be married? No, marriage is to be honored by... All. The crazy thing about the Greek word there is that uh, the word panta means all, right? Like everyone, all of us have to learn how to honor the marriages around us. And so I hope that you won't tune out. The reality is that 90% of you, if you're not married, you will someday be married, right? That's just a statistic, a fact that we can follow. And so there's something here for you. Don't tune out. Don't miss out on what we're going to do. So this morning, we're looking at covenant. Next week, we're going to look at communication and conflict. And we're going to understand uh, that w- when we get within the marriage, that, hey, we've got to understand how to communicate with, e- with each other. We've got to understand that because we know that conflict is coming. And the reality is, if we can learn how to communicate well, we can work through the conflict. And we understand that in conflict, that we fight for each other, not with each other. Amen? And then the last week is my favorite. Uh, we're going to talk about connecting, which is going to get into sex. Uh, and the elders are like, ah, oh, you're going to talk about sex again? And I said, yes, because there's two things I love, Jesus and sex. So I talk about them a lot. But we're going to talk about God's desire for that. But more than that, we're going to talk about intimacy within marriage. And it is way more than just the physical relationship. But yes, we will talk about sex uh, that Sunday morning following Thanksgiving. Hey, what better time, right? That's something I'm very thankful for in my life. Uh, hopefully, if you're married, you are too. So this morning, again, I just want to remind us that this series is not just for married people. This is for everyone. And anytime we think about marriage, um, one of the things that I, I want to say, I have said it before, is that we, we say that marriage is the greatest duet of all time in need of great backup singers. Amen. Every marriage needs people around it. Married, single, divorced, whatever your situation is, every marriage needs people around it who are not for the husband. They're not for the wife. They are for the marriage. They are there cheering you on. And when the husband does something stupid, you've got men in your life who are going to say, hey, that was stupid. You need to go home and, and reconcile with your wife. And when the wife does something crazy, hey, that was crazy. You need to go home and reconcile with your husband right? We need people that are cheering us on, that are coming alongside of us and supporting our marriages. We're going to talk a little bit more later about why that's so important. But any conversation of marriage, I think it's important for us to understand that we need to have a definition of marriage, because more and more we're seeing that our people are wanting to redefine what marriage is. And at River Rock Bible Church, we are a Bible church, and so any definition, we understand that that What Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So we understand that the Word of God is authoritative in every area of our life. That we don't get to just decide where we agree with the Bible and where we disagree with the Bible. That the Bible actually is the Word of God and it tells us and governs how we live. And what's interesting is that Paul goes on in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and he says, hey, uh, the reason I've told you that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, or rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, he says, because the reality is coming that the day will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will gather around them a number of teachers who will tell them, who will tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. And we're seeing that more and more today when people are deciding that, hey, I don't like what the Bible says here, so I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to decide what I like on this. So I want us this morning, we're going to look at one of Jesus' teachings on marriage. And in fact, it's, he's asked a question about divorce, and Jesus goes into teaching about marriage in Matthew chapter 19. And what's interesting is that Jesus is going to take the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day who are coming and asking about divorce, he's going to take them all the way back to Genesis and say, this is what God intended. From the very beginning, when God created, this is what he intended. And let me tell you, God is the creator and designer of marriage and sexuality. And as the creator, as the designer, don't you think he gets to define what it is and how it should be used? Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. So let's look at what Jesus says. He's asked about divorce. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 3, he says, some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Now, there's a big debate in the the culture of this day, and some people are saying, hey, you can get divorced for whatever you want, and others have a different opinion and, and they say, no, it's only for marital unfaithfulness uh, or, or no, you're never allowed to get married. And so this is what Jesus says. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. Notice there's no third option there. He made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. He's saying divorce was never in God's mind. Divorce was never an option, but because of your own hard hearts, because of your sinfulness, God instituted, uh, permitted the divorce. He didn't institute. He permitted the divorce to protect people, but that was never his design. That was never his design, and he goes on, and he says, and I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And his disciples said to him, if, this, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it is better to not marry. They're saying, if this is the case, Jesus, if this is the case, this is really hard. Like, we're expected to do this for the rest of our lives? That's hard. It's better to not get married. And look what Jesus says. The last, last verse here. He says, he told them, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those it has been given. So Jesus is saying, yes, yeah, singleness is a good option because marriage is difficult. Marriage is hard. And God's design is that once you are married, once you are joined together, that it would last for a lifetime. And so when we look at what Jesus has just said, we, we very clearly get our definition of marriage from this section. We see that God defines marriage as one man and one woman for one lifetime. God designs marriage, he defines marriage as one man and one woman for one lifetime. That is his desire for us. Um, We see in this passage, Jesus teaches chastity before marriage, fidelity after marriage, and a lifelong commitment of one married partner to the other with no thought of divorce. That is god 's design for marriage, and I understand that there are people here in in this room this morning uh, that that you're living in a situation that is outside of that, and I want you to understand that that divorce is not the unforgivable sin that our desire this morning is not to condemn anyone we 're just making clear what Scripture says, that this is God's perfect design, and we understand that that life is messy, that you may not fit into this definition. In fact, this, this last week, I had the opportunity to spend time with one of our families here at River Rock, who when they came to River Rock, they were in a situation that was outside of this definition. And they shared about how they had visited eight different churches in this area looking for a place that they could call home, but the only thing that they experienced was judgment and condemnation. And their kids were treated differently because of their situation. And they said, when we came to River Rock, no one condemned us. They didn't condone what we were doing. They, they, they didn't uh, agree with our lifestyle, but they didn't judge us. They loved us, and they cared for us, and they walked with us through that journey. And God has brought some amazing change in their lives, and they are working to be in line with, as close as they can, with God's will for their life. And so I want to encourage you, if you are here this morning, our desire is not that you would feel judged. Not that you would feel condemned. Our greatest desire is that you would come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and that you would begin walking in obedience to Him. That you would let Him make the changes in your life that would be in line with His Word as best you can. None of us get it perfect. And I would encourage you if you're here this morning and and you're struggling because you're hurting and you just look at this and you say, man, this is not me. I don't meet that definition. Just know that God is a God of grace and a God of love. And I would encourage you to talk to some of the other families around here, around you this morning who have experienced God's love through this church. Because we want you here. Our desire is not to hurt you at all, but to be honest about what Scripture says. So we understand that God defines marriage as being between one man and one woman, and I know that that's not a popular opinion today, um, but I'm not here to be your friend. I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to preach the word of God. And we will always continue to preach the word of God, no matter uh, the consequence or no matter how popular it is. And what we see in this, what the disciples understood, was that marriage was more than just a contract or a commitment. It was a covenant. The disciples hear Jesus' words and they say, "Man, Jesus, uh, this is hard." And I don't think they said it like, "Jesus, this is hard." I think they said like, "Jesus, comma, this is hard." All right. So they understand that this is a difficult teaching. And they understand that, but when we look at Scripture, we see that that uh, marriage is certainly described as a covenant. In fact, uh, we're going to see this a little bit later. But the, this is. Covenants are how God is related to his people uh, throughout scripture. And we're going to see a number of these covenants in just a moment. But in Ezekiel 18, he says this, God says, I passed by you, speaking to the nation of Israel, and saw you, and you were indeed at the age for love. So I spread the edge of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I pledged myself to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. This is the declaration of the Lord. The picture here is a picture of marriage. He's saying, I gave you my covenant and we were married. Jeremiah 31, 32 says, This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke even though I married them. So we see that marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant, and here is a simple definition of a covenant. It's a chosen relationship in which two or more parties make a binding pledge with each other to work toward a common goal with mutual rights and responsibilities that results in blessing. All right, I know that's a long definition. If you have the Bible app that's already written in there, hopefully it's already written in the bulletin and you don't have to try to copy that down, but if you want, we can send it out later this week. It's a chosen relationship in which two or more parties make a binding pledge with each other to work toward a common goal with mutual rights and responsibilities that results in blessing. Okay, so we understand when we come together to be married, what do we say? We are, we are here in the presence of God, and these witnesses to join this man and this woman in, the, in, in holy matrimony, we understand that when we marry, it's not just a covenant with our spouse. It's a covenant between us and our spouse and God. That we're making a covenant with him. Now, most of us, when we think about marriage, we think more in terms of a contract. We think about marriage that if, if it doesn't work out, we can just have it dissolved. We can have it annulled. We can just get a divorce. Right? That's why we have so many trial marriages. But I, I want us to see the difference between thinking about a contract and a covenant. First, a contract is legal in nature, but a covenant is personal and spiritual in nature. A contract is based on mistrust. We need this document signed because I don't trust you to fulfill your end of the bargain. Whereas a covenant is based on trust. I trust you and therefore we're entering into this covenant together. A contract is all about limiting my liabilities. That if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm off the hook. How many marriages, how many people go into marriage thinking, well, if he doesn't love me the way I deserve to be loved, if she doesn't treat me the way I deserve to be treated, I'm out. Whereas a covenant is about unlimited responsibility I am responsible to her, I am responsible to her my job to make this thing work. Uh, a contract can be broken, can be opted out of, or is eventually completed, whereas a covenant is a perpetual promise. It lasts for a lifetime. A contract is signed, whereas a covenant is sealed. A contract, we get something in exchange or in return for something, right? You give, you do this for me, and I'll do that for you. How many of us may be entered into marriage with that mindset? Whereas a covenant... Is a complete giving of oneself to another. I'm giving you everything I got. Marriage is not 50 50, it's 100% 100%. Lastly, a contract is dissolved if one party is not fulfilling their obligation, whereas a covenant, the party not having their needs met, supports the failing party to help them meet their obligation. That means if my wife is not loving me the way that I feel like I need to be loved, she's not giving me what I feel like I need, it's my responsibility to come alongside of her and say, what do you need from me? What can I do to help you uphold your end of the bargain? And vice versa. And that's exactly what we see that God does with his people. He doesn't say, well, you didn't obey. I'm out. He says, hey, I know you're not going to be able to obey, so I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. You know what? I I know that things aren't working out. I know you're struggling to obey me, so I'm going to come alongside of you, and there's going to be some discipline, but I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to build you up so that you can better follow me. That's the difference. That's the difference. And I know that, that there are moments in my marriage where I find myself in that contract thinking, like, I'm not getting what I need. There's no way I'm going in to do the dishes, right? No way. I'm sitting my rear end on the couch, and I'm watching football. And then God is like, no, you're not. And I get up, and I do it. We've, we've got to understand the difference between a contract and a covenant, and marriage is a covenant. Contract says, I'll uphold my end of the bargain as long as you hold up yours. We're a covenant Both parties agree to uphold their end, even if the other party doesn't. A great example of a modern covenant is the Declaration of Independence. You may not realize this, uh, but this is an example of a covenant where people are not just saying, hey, we're in contract with one another, but listen to the last line of the Declaration of Independence. It says, for the support of this declaration, we affirm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Right? They're saying, hey, even if you break, break this, we're in this together. The rest of us are still in this together. We're doing this together. They made a covenant with each other, pledging their very lives Now, this next section I want to move through really quickly because we do see covenants throughout Scripture. We see a a covenant at creation between God and mankind. We see a covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. And then we see the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Uh, And I'm actually going to skip this next part uh, because I was going to show how the uh, covenant goes, uh, parallels what we see in Scripture Using the covenant with Moses in the modern-day um, marriage ceremony, and I just have a little bit of time to do this, so I'm going to go super fast, and you'll you'll excuse me for going so fast. But there's a preamble uh, where God says in Exodus 22, He says, "I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt." The preamble is like the introduction, right? Uh, at the marriage ceremony, we say we are gathered today in the presence of God to join this bride and groom, right? This is why we're here. We go on to the listing of witnesses. In Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. God says, I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you, against you today. In the wedding ceremony, we say, we are gathered in the presence of these witnesses. We need witnesses to this covenant. People who will come alongside of us, and in those moments when we're thinking of walking away from the marriage, who will say, nuh-uh, not gonna happen. Not gonna let it happen because I was there. When you made that covenant, I'm a witness against you. We have the prologue, which is the background information of how we got to this place of covenant. You could say that Exodus 1 through 19, where God is leading his people out of Egypt, is the prologue. Or you could just simply say, in verse 2 of chapter 20, God says, Hey, I brought you out of Egypt. That's the Notes version, right? Brought you out of Egypt. Okay. Many times, what we say in the wedding ceremony is that God has guided this couple to this moment. We may even give a little background on their story. And then we see the oaths and conditions and the listing of blessing. In in uh, the covenant with God's people, Israel, that's the Ten Commandments. He gives the Ten Commandments. In the marriage, that would be the vow. Do you take this man, this woman, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, as long as you both shall live? We see that there. And then we have the sign or the symbol that's meant to remind us of our obligations and the benefits uh, in the Old Testament, with Moses, that was circumcision. Thank goodness at marriage, it's just rings, okay? Uh, we, we get off the hook on that one. And then there's the sealing or the inaugurating of the covenant. In Exodus 20, 24, verse 8, Moses sprinkles the people with the blood of the sacrifice to say, hey, this is, like this is the start of something. <laughs> Within marriage, that's the sexual relationship. That's the sexual relationship that happens after the wedding, right? Notice the order there. And then finally, we have covenant renewal. We see throughout scripture that the people of Israel were to renew their covenant with God. It happens about once a month, they have a covenant renewal where they're celebrating these festivals. And God says, hey, when you celebrate these festivals, you're celebrating me and everything I've done for you. Well, what do we do every year on our wedding date? We celebrate a what? Anniversary, Anniversary, right? Uh, The other... The other thing that we do as married couples is covenant renewal is the sexual relationship. That should be more than once a month, right? There should be an ongoing covenant renewal, a celebration of coming together as husband and wife as one. Now, why is it important for us to understand this uh, marriage as a covenant? It's because that's how God has painted the picture of how he relates to his people. There are passages in the Old Testament where God tells his people that they are his bride. The people of Israel, they are his bride. In Ephesians 5, Paul says that husbands are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he goes on and he says, hey, I'm talking about husbands and wives, but I really want you to understand that I'm talking about Christ and his church. And so what we have to understand is that that when we, as as followers of Jesus, and we enter into marriage— that we're painting a picture for the world of how God loves the world and how God desires to interact with the whole world. And if we're continually breaking apart marriages within the church, what kind of picture are we painting about God's love? We're saying to them, hey, God's love can be separated from you. And that's not reality. That's not reality. So we've We understand the weight that marriage is a way for God to do with one man and one woman, that which he always is trying to do with the world as a whole. It's why it's so important for you to work at developing Christ-honoring relationship with your spouse. You're working on a portrait of Christ in the church, and the world is looking over your shoulder. God's glory is at stake. God's glory is at stake within your marriage. So the last thing I want us to see is this. So what are, what are our rights or what are our responsibilities within the marriage? And for that, we simply go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 24, we're going to see what are, what are we called to do? What is the covenant that we're making when we stand there? And before witnesses and before God, what is the covenant we're making? We see it outlined in verse 24. God says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Okay, so first thing we see is that we are called to leave, we are called to cleave, and we're called to weave. All right, so we're called to leave, we're called to cleave, and we're called to weave. When it says uh, he will bond with his wife, uh, most translations will say he will cling to his wife, or he will cleave to his wife. So the idea of leaving is this, that you leave your past behind and you walk into a new life. You walk into a new relationship. And so uh, you're walking into the future with your spouse. And in order to have the intimacy that God intends for you to have within your marriage, you have to leave behind the past relationships. That doesn't mean you cut them off. What it means is there's a changing in priority. There's a changing in priority that your spouse is now your number one priority that you need to leave mommy and daddy behind. You need to leave mommy and daddy behind. Men, what your mother thinks about how you spend the holidays no longer matters. You've got to work that out with your spouse. Wives, what your mommy thinks about something within your marriage, what your daddy says about your husband, no longer matters. If your daddy doesn't like his job, that's tough. Your spouse is your number one priority. Your spouse is your number one priority. And more and more, it's not just the leaving of your parents. I want to also put this out there. You need to leave your children as well. You need to put them after your spouse. You need to put work after your spouse. If you're in a work situation that is causing stress on your marriage, do whatever you can. There are plenty of other jobs out there. You need to find something else. You need to prioritize your spouse over every other human relationship, second only to God. You need to leave. Uh, You need to leave in a number of different ways. Physically, right? Don't start a marriage living with your parents. Not good. You need to leave relationally. Again, your spouse is your number one priority. Emotionally, when there's good news at work, you don't call mommy and daddy. You call your spouse. First one who gets to hear the good news. You need to leave spiritually, and sometimes you need to leave geographically. I can tell you the best thing that ever happened to my wife and I was two months after we got married, we moved 2,000 miles away from every single person in our family. We moved from Texas to Boston. That was the best thing that ever happened, because you know what? When we had an argument, I couldn't go to my parents' house. She couldn't go to her mom's house. We had no money, so all we could do is take a walk around the block and come back, and guess what? I couldn't go stay at a hotel. We had no money, so we had to work it out. That was the best thing that happened to our marriage, was to be removed geographically. We need to be putting our spouses first. second is the cleaving. We see this idea in in the book of Ruth, where Naomi says, in fact, the same word is used of, of Ruth and Naomi, that says that Ruth clung to Naomi. She says, Your people will be my people. Wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. That's the idea, is that we would cling to our spouse, uh, that we would be two people glued together permanently. It's complete loyalty and commitment. This is the idea that couples use their gifts and abilities to lift each other up, honoring the other person, that we are stuck to them, uh, the unique gifts and roles within the family, And I know it's not popular to teach this either, but there are different roles for men and different roles for women within the family. And the the reality is this, that when we think about clinging together, that our job as men is to come alongside of our wives and do everything we can to make her successful and to honor her in her role. And ladies, your job, your role, your responsibility is to use your gifts, abilities, and talents to come alongside your husband and make him successful in his role to help them be successful. That's why we see that that uh, it says that no suitable helper was found for Adam. We help each other. We build each other up. We use what God has given us to encourage one another. We cling to each other. And lastly, we weave together. Genesis 2.25 says this, both man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. Now, I already told you we're getting to the sexual relationship in a couple of weeks, but this is way more than just being naked, or if you're from East Texas, naked, in front of each other and not being ashamed. It's the idea of intimacy. Intimacy, and we'll get to this in a couple of weeks, but let me define it this way. Into me you see. Into me you see. It's the idea that we can be completely open within our marriage, that we can let people in on who we are, and that we are also at the same time pursuing asking questions, drawing out from them who they really are, that marriage, God has designed it to be a safe place where we can be open, where we can be imperfect, where we can share all those things, that we have to let our spouse see those things in us. They ought to know where we're struggling. They ought to know where we're winning. They ought to know what what we're thinking and feeling at all times. We need to have that type of intimacy with them that we are weaving our lives together, that the two are becoming one, that there is no shame within our marriage and that we're not ever casting shame within our marriage. Uh, uh, one of the things that blows my mind as I do uh, premarital counseling is how often I see couples that when we get to finances, they say, oh yeah, we're going to keep separate bank accounts. Now, why would you do that? Well, you know, just in case, there's no just in case. Your lives are woven together. You are woven together. The two have become one. There is no just-in-case. There's no parachute. We do not go into marriage with a parachute mentality. We don't go into marriage with a just-in-case mentality. We understand that marriage is meant for a lifetime, that I becomes we, me and mine becomes us and ours. This morning, I do want to ask Cotton and Georgie Dodge to come on up and join us. Uh, Cotton and Georgia, as I mentioned earlier, have been married for sixty-one years. Uh, yeah, that's, that's something worth celebrating. My wife and I have been married for sixteen years, um, so we're coming up on sixteen years. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but there is something about life and wisdom that only comes through experience and so i thought it would be great for our congregation to hear from you this morning 61 years of marriage Um, would you guys just share with us what's something that you wish you had known before you got married
1: well well, we've talked about it and uh, no one took us in and confided in us about what we were going to experience so that's, that's what we figure that should have happened, but no one took the time.
0: Mm, that's good. What about you, Georgie? Well, at that,
1: can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes, ma'am. <laughs>
2: uh, no one went, or I won't would, I would say no one, most people didn't at the time we married. You married at an early age you still clung to your parents. And I think if there would have been advice from people that had been married a lifetime, it would have helped.
0: Now, 61 years of marriage, I imagine there may have been some ups and downs. Not... Not... Not through any fault of Georgie's. uh, (laughs) All years. Well, can you help... Maybe there's couples out there that are struggling... Uh, today, what would you, what encouragement would you give? How did you guys make it through those difficult years, difficult times within marriage?
2: For one thing, it takes lots and lots and lots of prayer to get through any situation. And definitely Cotton and I have, we've had quite a few years in that 61 years that were difficult. Um, and sometimes it's still difficult even at this age. But we have to remember God's always there for
1: us.
0: Anything you'd say, Cotton?
1: Your relationship to God spills over into the rest of your life. All of it. Not only with your friends, but also with your spouse. And as Pastor Charlie was saying earlier, it's a covenant, and it's a commitment to that covenant. And you become, over the years, you become one flesh. It's like weaving a fish net. You know, each year you put a few more loops in there, then suddenly at one time you realize, hey, we're a team. We can catch those fish now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, what would you say to those out there who are single, who are thinking, uh, you know, someday I'll be married, what would you say to them about how they can be preparing even now while they're single? How can they be preparing for marriage?
2: Well, the main thing is to pray that God sends you somebody, and He he will. But you've got to be in close communication with Him. And... uh, Think of why why do you want to get married? You need to know those reasons.
0: Cotton.
1: If you want to get married, then pray. Pray that God will send you a spouse that will not only be honorable to you, but be honorable to you. To God and the person that you're going to marry. Mm-hmm. So as long as you've got that closeness to to God, then you're going to be listening to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that's what you need. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to have that. Also, you're... Well, that's... That's, <laughs>
0: that's good. That's good. Well... What encouragement or advice would you have for couples out there who are maybe struggling in their marriage today? Maybe they're even considering divorce. How would you encourage them? What would you, uh, what would you say to them?
2: That's a pretty hard one because sometimes all marriages are not just great. Maybe you did marry the wrong person because you didn't listen or you didn't pray. But once you're married, it's as Charlie said, you've got a covenant and you need to hold up your end of the deal. Take a look at yourself and say, am I at fault or is all the fault on the other spouse? Work out your problems. It's good for you.
1: I would say that uh, not only have the Holy Spirit as your best friend, but know God's Word also. And in His Word somewhere, I'm not one of those that's blessed with, uh, you can just remember where everything is in the Bible, but there is in the Bible a verse that says, Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So always be in communication with your spouse. And there are going to be misunderstandings. You can count on that. But don't let that carry over into the night. Because before you go to bed each night, you want to get into God's Word and just read a portion. And then both of you pray. Then you talk over the day's activities, and you clear the air before you go to bed. So that, that's what I recommend.
0: All right. Last question I have is um, we talked a little bit about prioritizing your spouse over every other relationship except for your relationship with God. Could you just maybe share with us uh, in, in your 61 years of marriage, why, why has that been so important?
2: It's been important because you need that person. You don't know how much you will need that spouse through all of the years. They are your helpmates. They are your livelihood in so many ways. That's why a lot of times when God takes one of the the couple, one of them, home, that if you're not close to him, it's a terrible thing. I know my sister was married 44 years when her husband died, and it has taken her, he's been dead five years, and she still mourns for him, not in the same way. But you need to respect your spouse in every way. And let them know
1: how much you love them. We're to prioritize in a way that God designed it. That's about all I got to say
0: on that. Well, thank you. You guys give them a round of applause. (laughs) It's amazing to see couples that are committed 61 years of marriage. Uh, What amazing wisdom. If you don't know Cotton and Georgie, I encourage you to get to know them. Uh, Maybe even take them out to lunch and just hear more of their story. One of the things that was so amazing, uh, as I spoke with him this week, Georgie said, you know, when it comes to prioritizing uh, your relationship with your spouse, he said, the reality is your kids are going to move up, grow up and move out. Or at least they should. (laughs) But you're stuck with your spouse. You got to make the best of it. And and I I just want to encourage, I want to hammer on that just a little bit more. Because I feel like when we think about idolatry today in America, I think most people with kids idolatize their children. And so I want to tell you, have a date night. My wife and I had a, have a date night almost every week, and we tell our kids, we're leaving you because she's more important than you are. <laughs> You're going to move out someday, and that's going to be a sad day, but we're, we're going to be here together. And they understand that, and they love that. They love our date nights because they know it means good things for them as well. And so I just want to encourage you in that. And the other thing that I would say, um, if you have kids who are married, or who are about to be married, I just encourage you, let them leave and cleave well. Make sure you're not inserting yourself in that situation in an unhealthy way. Those are some hard things to do. I just want us to close this morning. If you're here and you're considering divorce, just understand that um, that is always outside of God's greatest desire. As much as it depends on you, as much as it depends on you, Would you commit to pursuing reconciliation and restoration within your marriage? And I understand there are certainly biblical uh, reasons where divorce is permitted, but that doesn't mean it's required. And if, if it's at all possible and if it's safe, I would encourage you, consider, what do I do as much as it depends on me to reconcile and restore this marriage? Because we believe that if God can raise his dead son, He can raise your dead marriage. Amen? Secondly, if if you're here and you are divorced, we want you to know this is not the unforgivable sin. If you're divorced and you're already remarried, we would just encourage you in this. Make this one last a lifetime. Commit that this will be the one that lasts a lifetime. Take divorce off the table. We want you to know there is no judgment, no condemnation. we just want you, whatever life situation you 're in. How do you begin honoring the God uh, honoring God where you are if you 're not yet married, I encourage you to start honoring the marriages around you. start honoring the marriages around you. One great way to do that is. Um, uh, on the podcast this this last week I don't know if it's been published yet or not but my wife and I talked about just the tendency for men to get together and maybe bash their their wives and wives get together and bash their husbands and part of being a great backup singer part of supporting the marriages around you is standing up and saying hey I'm not going to let you talk about your spouse that way you guys need to work this out I'm not for you I'm not for him I'm for the marriage And when we hear that there's a divorce, we don't go on Facebook and say, I'm so happy for you. No, we mourn it like we would mourn the death of a loved one. We support the marriage. We support the marriage. And I would encourage you, if you're not yet married, honor your future marriage by continuing to grow in the Lord, as Cotton and Georgie just reminded us. And I'll say this. In 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul tells us that if you are to marry, he says, marry only in the Lord. And that means that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your only option for marrying someone is that they would also be a believer. Which, in my book, means that you would only date those who are believers. There's no missionary dating because what happens when you get to the point of marriage and you realize, uh oh, I'm a believer, she's not. that you would commit to that. And then as Cotton and Georgie said, I believe marrying only in the Lord also means that we marry only according to God's will. So there may be a believer and we don't say, well, he's a believer, I'm a believer, she's a believer, I'm a believer. Good enough. No, we seek God's will. We ask him to reveal to us, God, is this the one you've chosen for me? And lastly, if you're married and you're struggling, uh, I would just encourage you again that you would pursue reconciliation and restoration. That you would own your faults, your sin, and you would pursue that. You would take divorce off the table. And if you're in a marriage that maybe things are going great right now, I encourage you keep evaluating your leaving, cleaving, and weaving. How are we doing? What are we doing? One of my favorite things every week when my wife and I go out on our date, I ask her this question. Men, I encourage you to ask this question and don't ask your wife to ask it back to you. You ask it to her. Is there anything I'm doing that's making you feel unloved or disrespected? Anything I'm doing. And you give her the freedom to talk and you don't get defensive. You just let her talk and then you make changes. And you do that, you, can, you continue pursuing that weaving, cleaving and leaving. I encourage every married couple out here today, I encourage you to have a date night this week and just sit down and say, hey, how, how are we doing at leaving? Are there any relationships that we've put before our marriage? How are we doing at cleaving? Are we, are we bonding together? Are we stuck together like glue? How are we doing at weaving? How's our, how's our intimacy? Am, am I really letting you in? Are, are you really letting me in? And you just be honest and then make the changes that God has for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the gift of marriage, and we ask that you would help us, each and every one of us, to honor the marriages around us, those of us that are married, that we would start by honoring our own marriage. Lord, we pray that you would be with us this week as we go into our world, and we paint a picture for the world around us of your desired relationship with mankind. God, help us as a church family to have strong marriages that honor you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, as we move into a time of offering, uh, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't finished filling out your connection card, that you would take a second to do that. Um, also, we do have a new giving platform, JT. I'm going to hold us off for this, this week because um, I went long again. I'm sorry. I get excited. Uh, so my apologies, but we do have a new giving platform that includes text to give, um, and so next week JT's going to get a chance to share about that as our one of our elders who's a treasurer. I just want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you are are visiting, don't feel compelled to give. Uh, We have many faithful members and regular attenders that support our ministry. And uh, so we just want to let our service be a gift to you. If you're a member, regular attender that is here and you would like to give, you'd like to continue supporting our ministry, maybe you're not prepared, you didn't bring a check, I'd encourage you, if you go online to riverrockbible.com, you can give under the giving page. Uh, If you're using the Bible app, you can just click that link. It'll take you right there for secure online giving. And next week, we'll hear a little bit more about how you can start doing text-to-give as well. Uh, As the ushers pass the offering plates, I'd just like to pray for us as we move to a time of worship through our giving. Heavenly Father, God, you are so generous. You were generous enough to send your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, and be raised from the dead. Lord, we pray this morning as we worship through giving giving, that you would be honored by what is given here this morning, that we would be generous as you have been generous towards us, that that what is given would enable more men, women, and children to come to know the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.